I've been very insecure. And even, and he was insecure too. And we, part of polyamory has been, we're not, we can't hide our insecurity in the other person. Like the other person can't take care of our, our insecurity anymore. I have to be uh, honorable to my, like responsible for my insecurity and learn about it and, and support myself in it. And then from there, ask him, Hey, you know, can you support me by doing this? Is that, are you available for that? Does that even feel good for you? There's so much more consent now. Like we, we are different people and I would never go back, even if for all the heartache that I've experienced in polyamory, I would never go back because of the freedom that we now have. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 239. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Maria. Maria is amazing. We have a wonderful conversation about healing from infidelity, codependency, sexual health. So you're going to want to listen to this one. Yeah, it's a great conversation. And so a huge amount of gratitude to Maria for coming on and talking with us. Uh, Maria is also a coach and runs workshops. And she talks a little bit about that at the start of the the episode. Links to everything for uh, her work can be found in the show notes. And one thing that is coming up a little bit timely for her is a workshop at the end of June called Follow Your Fuck. And there are links in the show notes of where you can sign up and learn more about that. So check all that out uh, after you listen to the episode. Again, to find the show notes, uh, you can either go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the podcast tab or in your podcast player. There should be direct links there um, in the show notes to take you straight over to our website to see photos uh, and everything about all of our guests, including Maria. So check that out. Before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of announcements. A huge thank you to our growing Patreon community. We are so grateful for each and every one of you. And it's been such a just we were talking about it the other day about how influential this community has been for us and for all of you. It's been it's been just amazing. Yeah, actually, that conversation was part of uh, an, an interview we did last night. Right. With, I know. With a the teaser. Jo- with the Joneses from the We Got a Thing podcast where we talk about their community and our community and like how we've built and fostered community. So that'll be coming out on their podcast in a few weeks. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We'll let you know when it comes out. But just uh, yeah, a little teaser that that's coming. Yes. If you're interested in learning more about finding your community, go and check or out. Finding our community. Our community. <laughs> well, it's their community too. That's yeah, true. <laughs> How about finding the Normalizing Non-Monogamy Patreon community? That's what I was trying to say. If you're interested in learning more about, I was going to say, finding like-minded people. There you go. Go check out our Patreon and on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button. Wow, that did not go as planned. I know. <laughs> anyway, if you're also looking for a community, but maybe Patreon's not your jam, we do monthly virtual meet and greets. These are open to anybody and everybody. And our next one is tomorrow. June 9th. Yes. And that is going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, slash 6 p.m. Pacific. What we do is we bring everybody into Zoom. We do some introductions. We set some guidelines. We ask a couple of icebreaker questions. And then we ask a little more in-depth questions and we send you to a breakout room where you can talk about that question with 
you know, three to four other people. And then we bring you back in about 10 minutes. We ask a different question. We scramble the rooms and away you go. These are super fun. And as a reminder, they're open to anyone. You said be open-minded and respectful. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you happen to miss this one in June, we'll have a, we'll have another one coming up soon. So uh, don't fret about it. But we would love to see you this week. So yeah. go sign up now. No excuses not to be there. <laughs> if you want to join us, you can head over to our website. Again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community events tab and there will be information there. Uh, under the virtual events. While you're on our website, you can also contact us, reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email if you want to come on the podcast or if you just have some feedback or questions for us. We'd love to hear from you. And I think that's it. Well, I just wanted to say for for the requirements to come on the show, you don't have to be a coach. You don't have to be an author. I know we've had uh, some a string o- of those, a string of those <laughs> the last couple of weeks. But I mean, so many of our guests are just average people who just out doing non-monogamy or thinking about it or living life and they want to share their story and we have just an incredible amount of that as well so if you're out there and you think hey my story's pretty interesting or i will say this even if you think hey my story's pretty boring <laughs> you're probably wrong you we, are you are wrong <laughs> we have found almost every single one of these stories interesting and we get comments from people on every episode that hey i didn't think i'd resonate with this but they said something and I'm so grateful that I listened. So you listener, your story is interesting and helpful and beneficial. So reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Come on, share it and uh, you'll do the world good. Yes, please, please, please. No, no pressure, but the, the fate of humanity rests on you. <laughs> no, pr- no pressure, but come on. <laughs> Can we convince you? <laughs> and, and if you don't, well, the downfall of humanity is resting on your shoulders. So uh, we'll, we'll hear from you soon. Yes. And we'll see you on the other side of this interview with Maria. Yeah. Let's go talk to Maria. Well, welcome, Maria, to the podcast. We're excited to talk to you today. And thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here, too. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind starting by just introducing yourself at whatever level you feel comfortable with? Yes. So I'm a coach. I work with men, women, and non-binary on healing trauma, issues around intimacy. We look at what has gotten in the way of people really trusting their desire, feeling really safe in their bodies, safe in their turn-ons. I've been doing this for probably five years. I started off in psychotherapy and I was working with adults with severe mental illness. And why I left mental therapy to begin coaching was I felt like there wasn't a real place for sexuality and sensuality. And also I felt that I had to really hide my own personal story of healing and awakening. And I wanted to be more transparent with people and walk alongside of them in their healing instead of being on a pedestal, looking down at them saying, this is kind of what you have to do and so forth. So when I left mental health and I like jumped full into my business, it was scary. I was thinking, what am I doing? Like I, I had no idea exactly what I would be creating or doing, but I just started doing sessions with people and it began growing and growing. And then I just um, began leading workshops and retreats. And right before COVID, I was leading retreats in Italy, luxury retreats for women. And when COVID hit, we had to close everything um, down. And now that things are kind of coming down to like uh, a tolerable level, I'm beginning workshops again in person, and I'm, I'll be doing a retreat in October, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. And you, you kind of teased in there that like you kind of had to hide your own story and your own journey in this. And I guess, do you mind giving us like a high level of what that journey and story is? And then maybe we can go back to the beginning and pick it apart. That's a great question. I've had to do a lot of like why I'm interested in coaching and why I'm interested in in self-development, 
Like I'm not just interested in it. It's like an obsession growing and healing and knowing myself and being the best version that I can be. The reason why it's an obsession is because back when I was 18, I went through a lot of trauma around my sexuality, around my identity. And I had to literally heal myself in order to stay on the earth. I had to seek therapy. I had to seek retreats. And I was just hungry, hungry, hungry for finding something that would clarify what I had been through and what I can do next, how I could pass it forward when I learn how to heal myself. So I, I like dove deep into healing um, for years and years and then realized at a certain point that I wanted to give back and, and really um, help people in the way that I was helped and teach things that I felt like nobody was really teaching when it came to sexuality, sensuality, eroticism, turn on, um, trauma. So I went to grad school and I started doing psychotherapy and it felt good to be helping people, but it, it also felt like I couldn't be really clear about my journey and, and about how I've had to heal my own wounds of trauma and how I continue to heal in order to give myself the thing that I really want instead of trying to fit into society's box. And when I started coaching, I, it was great. It was super exciting. It felt very aligned. And then I shut down um, my coaching because I had an affair and I felt like, okay, I, I can't, I can't coach and be teaching people if I feel out of integrity because I wasn't ready to own it yet with my husband. But of course I was working with a coach at the time who supported me in realizing that I can't lie. And when I teach other people, I can't be coming from a place of lying either. Like I can't lie in my personal relationships and I can't lie as a teacher so I shut everything down in my business, um, did focused on myself for a couple of months and then came back online when I was able to talk to my husband when we were getting to healing. And when I started to redefine our marriage from monogamy to polyamory, which is what the um, affair kind of catalyzed us into. So that's also the process that I take my clients through, which is, is your life working for you? And if not, how can you build your life in a way that actually works for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank That's, you. Yeah. As I say, thank you for sharing all of that. It's, it's, I'm excited that like you, you went through a lot and you were able to like go back and focus on yourself and then, Hey, like I can bring value to people by telling them my story too, by sharing my story. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm a human <laughs> and I make mistakes <laughs> and yeah. like life happens. And so by being by vulnerable and sharing that, it's really powerful. Yeah. And I think like one of my favorite threads that we have on this podcast periodically is the taking an infidelity and turning it like using that to redefine the marriage. And it's not that I'm like pro infidelity. I'm pro like we don't have to blow up everything because of an infidelity. And I, I love that you have been able to take that and figure out how to then use that as the foundation to, as you said, like catalyze a new way moving forward and I, are you i mean are you comfortable going back and like talking a little bit about like how the affair came to be oh yeah and then that process of like talking with your husband about it and like that's a big shift from like i was having an affair to like let's open our marriage like that's huge. a huge ask yeah and i like that you mentioned it doesn't have to blow everything up for me, in my experience of the affair, it actually did have to blow up what was not working about our relationship. So I think that's where people get kind of stuck is that, oh, our relationship is going to die. We can't build a new one. It's like, yes, your relationship is going to die, but you can build something else. You can build something that's healthier for you both. And in the beginning, it was very scary because we don't have 
uh, like a map directing us on this is when you have an affair, this is how you rebuild. Most people usually just throw in the towel. There wasn't a lot of people that we knew in our lives that had long-term marriages that were rebuilding after infidelities. It's not something that people talk about. So when we got into therapy, it was really terrifying because we both weren't sure, is this the relationship that we want? Is this, is this, do we want monogamy or do we want, like, what do we even want? And we had to be really willing to be in the uncomfortable place and to stay in that uncomfortable place for as long as possible without making decisions, without throwing in the towel and saying, oh, I can't do this because that would have been really easy to do because we both were highly triggered. We both were going through things personally and in the relationship that made it easy to just be like, ah, we don't want to deal with this. But our love for each other has always been really strong. And he's such an incredible person that we always decided, oh, that's my little puppy. Sorry about that. She might be a cameo <laughs> throughout our podcast. Um, but we decided that doing the work um, and developing something new was better than just calling it quits. But in the very beginning, what led me to the affair was real, like a few things led me to the affair. And one of them, well, first of all, is highly selfish. I don't recommend it. I'm not like, if you think you're polyamorous, you should go have an affair. No, like, I, I, there, there might be better ways. I don't know what, what are the better ways, honestly, because I feel like it often happens is some type of affair revealing either emotional or physical affair or both revealing that somebody probably needs other things in that relationship. But one thing that led me to me the, to the affair was the fact that our relationship had taken on a very good moral essence, but it wasn't as real as we both needed. And it wasn't at feeding us both in an, a deeper way. We never fought. We never disagreed. We were very enmeshed. And um, from the outside, it would seem that we were super close. We're always cuddling, always kissing, always so kind to each other. And our identity had really um, melted together. And there wasn't a clear me and my husband. It was just us. And me having an affair, I know at the time, was an attempt to just differentiate and, and say, I'm a person too. I get to have my own needs and feelings in a way that we weren't really able to do at the time because having our own needs and feelings felt dangerous. It felt scary. So I had an affair as an attempt to just be like, oh, I, I'm a person too. I get to be my own person. And also because there was a little bit of a dynamic in the relationship of someone making the decisions and the other person following it, like my husband making the decisions and, and me kind of going along with it. And I think my me leaning into this affair was my attempt at also saying, I want to make my own decisions. <laughs> it was kind of me acting out as a teenager a little bit because he we both kind of treated me as a teenager in the relationship. And it was me kind of acting out like, I, I'm going to do whatever I want at the end of the day. It's also a time in my life where I recognized deep down the reason why I feel pulled to this person too is not just because there's something happening in my relationship, but also because for a very long time, I've always had a desire and the, the want and the need for more than run, one relationship at a time. And I just didn't know it. I would always think there was something wrong with me or like, why are you thinking about more than one person? Or why could you easily go and be with another person after this relationship ended? Like the serial monogamy thing that I, that I would do before I was polyamorous. My gut was saying, I think, I think you're meant to be with more than one person in a significant way. I just did not yet know what that meant or what that looked like, or even how to go about it in a way that would be honoring for me and my husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for that. I think that the ability to like pick apart the reasons why and like just to be really self-aware about that. And I mean, it's amazing. So <laughs> thank you for sharing thank that. You. Well, it's not easy. It's it's easy. Like the easier path is just to blame the other person, right? <laughs> yeah. Or and you have to really think about your like what's going on for you and dig deep. And that's not, that's not easy work. It's scary sometimes. Totally. And I, it it was interesting because if I had taken, I mean, I took on full responsibility, but if he also didn't look at how he contributed, we wouldn't be able to grow. So it's like we both took full responsibility and because we both took full responsibility, we were able to move forward. But I think why people break up is because they stay in that shame blame for so long. Like you did this to me, how dare you? And we get kind of safe in that like egoic sort of I'm the victim or I'm the perpetrator. And the only way to maintain a healthy relationship is to really let go of those roles and say, okay, that might've happened. How do we rebuild? What do we change? How do we make this relationship healthy? So both of us can get our needs met, not just one or the other. Yeah. Well, you kind of, you arrive at a crossroads of we either continue down the path together and re redesign what this looks like, or we just cash in our chips and say, well, that was a good run. We're done now. And there's nothing left here. And we walk away from it. And, and I, I love that you two took the, like, let's tear it down and rebuild it. And, and I'm curious when you, when you went to your husband and unveiled this and started this process, like, can you take us through a little bit of how that went? And I understand he's not here to really talk through his side of it, but just, I guess, from your perspective, how that went and how, how you arrived at non-monogamy um, and maybe how long that took. Because I think there's some people who hear you speak like so eloquently about like, here's why I did it. And like, I can't imagine that you were like on day one, you're like, here's why I did it. And you had all of the answers. <laughs> so like just understanding that this is probably a slow process. Oh, yeah. Unless you were like super self-aware from day one. <laughs> which, if you, which if you are, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a process. Definitely a lot of healing, a lot of reading, a lot of therapy since then, for sure. It's And it's something that we'll always do is continue to, to grow and learn about why I've done the things that I've done and, and why I want the things that I want. But I remember after I, after I had the affair, I, it was like the only time in my life where I actually felt ashamed of myself. Like the only time where I felt like I did something that was like so against the fiber of my being because it was out of integrity. And because of that, I decided because I loved my husband so much, I wasn't going to tell him it was. And this is something that I've really seen a lot with my clients and, and, and people in general, which is holding on to the secret, no matter what it does, no matter what it does to the relationship or, or to that person's health. I actually said to myself, I rather get sick of like cancer or something. I, I, I said this to myself instead of him having to hold the gravity of what I what I went through or what I put him through. I don't want him to know, but slowly and surely my body, I I just didn't feel good for many different reasons. And I realized it's time that I, I speak to this person because if I didn't tell him it would destroy me and it probably would have destroyed the relationship too. Um, because I feel that's what lies often do. And when I finally told him it was, it was such an interesting thing because it wasn't me, um, it wasn't joyful. It wasn't like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, it, it, it was very sad and it was very painful 
to see, wow, the impact of my actions on another person is pretty serious, especially on a person that I love. And I had a lot of patience with him and he had a lot of kindness and patience with me too, where we're not the type of people where we like to spite the other person too much. or um, We're not, we're not impulsive or when we're, our triggers don't really come out on each other. Our triggers usually come out on ourselves, but there was Mm -hmm. a certain point when um, I told him and I was like, we need to get into therapy. He's like, yeah, we, we really need to get into therapy. We got into therapy. There was a certain point where his behaviors where he was getting mad and he was, of course, and he was feeling furious and he was feeling really hurt and it wasn't coming out in a clean way, of course, because it's impossible to always make it clean. And I remember having to create boundaries. Like you get to be mad at me. I did a really terrible thing. I'm going to apologize for a really long time for as long as you need. And I feel good about that, but you don't get to be verbally abusive. You don't get to be hurtful. Like you don't get to be mean. Right. And that was hard for me because I felt like, oh, I deserve this because I'm a a terrible person. But healing really required us creating new boundaries and not being each other's caretaker, not being each other's parents, not being each other's protectors. Like I had to get better at letting him have his own emotional experience without me taking care of him and explaining to him and and trying to, to protect him from his own anger or his or his own pain. And he had to really allow me to be on my journey of awakening to polyamory and supportive of it and open to me expressing what my needs and feelings were. It was wild because it's not as if, um, it's not as if it's an easy awakening to, to go from monogamy to polyamory. Um, but that's what we did over a few years time, which is we started off as saying that we were monogamous. And then at the end of that, after personal work, a lot of personal work, he had a coach, I had a coach, we had a couple's therapist. After all of it, we realized that we really did, did want to pursue polyamory. And we wanted to see how our relationship would feel in that space. Um, and ever since that we've chosen polyamory, we've had a lot of growth and a lot of health. But polyamory might not be where everybody arrives, but that's where we arrived. And that's what we thought would be the best for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that journey of let's take a monogamous marriage and crack it open and now be polyamorous. Like, so in our own story, like we we did the sort of friends with benefits swingery route for 13, 14 years and cracking open the polyamory sphere has really like it is a lot to try to readjust and like get rid of codependencies and like you said like you can't necessarily be each other's caretakers and uh, emotional support for everything like you and, and it's so hard because you want to be yeah because that's what you've been for so well and you're long. so enmeshed like that yeah. before you have to pull yourself apart because you want to it's a good thing but yet it's so, it's so hard. And it's like, you, so and you don't want to go too far. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing is if you pull yourself too far apart, then it's like, then you, like, it's every man for himself. Right? That's, just... that's not good either. Right. Oh, right. It, it, it's a balance of having that differentiation and separation of you're, you're allowed to have your own experience. You're allowed to fall in love with someone. Like I support you in feeling your own stuff without saying, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't care what you feel. I'm not responsible for what you feel. It's like there's no anger there. It's such a, it is such a unique balance of holding both of those things. Yeah. And I think it's, I imagine it's hard 
if let's say you come into this as like a solo poly person, I imagine that's a challenge. And I, I don't want to be like, well, ours is harder. But like, I think there is an additional challenge of like, you were married maybe 10, 15. And sometimes it's like people have been married 20 or 30 years. And they're like, now we're going to try polyamory. And you're like, you've got 30 years of this mindset that you've been doing, you've run a groove and, and like, it's probably a well-oiled machine. And all of a sudden you're like, and now here's this new thing that's like really hard and you get to try to do it. So yeah, I, I love, I love that you were able to do that and that you're still on that journey. I'm curious, what did the first steps towards making polyamory a reality? What were those? Mm. It was me for sure, working with a therapist who, she was incredible. She was, I worked with her for a few years and she was able to help me release the shame about who I was. Um, if I had not worked with a therapist and I was still dealing with any type of shame, I might've had an affair or kept on having an affair. I might have, um, just swallowed it completely and tried to be a, a healthy, good wife and what I thought was a good wife mentality and then been really sad. Um, but I had this really great support, um, of this amazing human who just said, yeah, like shame doesn't have to be your reality. You, you can experience your life without shame. And without holding back. So I had a really good support. Um, Steve had an incredible support too. He started working with a coach. Um, we had a couple's therapist who was willing to ask us hard questions of, are you both happy? What is even happiness? How can you experience more happiness in your life? What If you both tried polyamory, what would that mean for you? What does it mean for your relationship? And we had to really tease out safety being from monogamy or safety being from ownership or safety being connected to um, some level, I mean, not consistency, but like predictability, because monogamy brings a very strong level of predictability. This is who I see this day. This is who I celebrate my holidays with. This is the person that I tell when I'm upset. This is the person that I tell when I'm happy, like when I'm happy. And um, polyamory just like you said, really shifts everything upside down and it can be really terrifying. So we face those fears of, are we going to be close on the other side of this? Are we going to still love each other? It, it's, is it possible that you'll find somebody more like you and you won't want to be with me anymore? And we're still asking those questions to ourselves and that feeling might still arise in me. And that's something that I work on personally and I journal about and I think about and sometimes I might even bring up to him but it's never in this you need to change to fix this feeling it's whoa there's a feeling happening how can we support this feeling happening and um, instead of let's go back to monogamy to, to make it easier because monogamy wasn't easier we, we even though it seems easier there's a whole lot of issues that came along um, there for us as well mm -hmm. yeah no, I, I appreciate you sharing the two, like the work that goes into it. Like the, mm -hmm. the fact that you had, um, each have a coach and a couples therapist and that shame piece that I, I don't think it's sometimes people don't recognize how big that can influence you. And like shame and guilt don't really serve you, but they are there often and you have to figure out how to release them and accept them and work with that emotion. 
Um, totally. And guilt as well. Guilt. Shame, yeah. guilt, a guiltiness of wanting anything else. I'm so happy with you. Why would I ever want anything else or anybody else or, or to have life with other people? Like, that's insane. How, how could I be that greedy? You know, like, there's, there's a lot of um, hitting of like thresholds of pleasure and thresholds of, of abundance. And I, I had to hit over and over again what I felt like I was allowed to have, my threshold of allowance and expand it into, wow, I thought I was only allowed to have love from Steve. I'm actually allowed to have love from more than one person. Whoa, like that, that's so crazy. And and something that I'm still working on, honestly, of what does it mean to really expand, to have healthy amounts of relationship with more than one person? I, I, I haven't fully figured it out. I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so maybe this a uh, good shift too. Like what is what has the journey with polyamory looked like? Well, and, and really quick, on, on that same thread, like how long did you and Steve do the like the let's call it the theoretical bookwork of polyamory versus <laughs> like we're now we're now we're gonna like road test all of the theory, all of the coaching, all of the therapy. And I think it builds right into Emma's question of like, yeah, what did that look like? <sighs> we in the beginning, um, in the wee beginning hours, <laughs> it was, mm, honestly, I don't think we did it perfectly. And I'm, I, I don't know if there is really a perfect way of doing it, but early I don't on. Think I don't there think there so. is. <laughs> <laughs> But how we uh, went about it was I I was super eager to date and super eager to be in relationship with people. And I think there was months and months that we spent in therapy where I wasn't seeing anybody, but I knew in my heart that this is what was important for me. And it was as if something that was sleeping in me a long time had turned on. And I was like, oh, I got to I gotta move right now. I got to do these things. And looking back, I... I don't know. I feel like it was a little bit fast for me and for Steve, how, my nature of, wow, I just learned that I'm this. Now I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to go to all the conferences. I'm going to, then I'm going to teach about it and then I'm going to be it. And, and that's kind of my personality in general. When I recognize that there's something important that I have to grow or learn or be like, I dive full into it and I learn all about it really quickly. But I, I, I felt fast in that I was deep in like a year later, I was in a serious relationship. Um, with someone Steve was just lately dating because um, he started off and taking baby steps, which I think is his personality. Um, but I dove heavy, heavy in. Um, so I was in a serious relationship. Steve was seeing people um, lightly, but he did not have nearly as amount of demand that I had. I, it could be my personality. It could be a woman on a dating app. Honestly, it's, you know, we, we get a lot of attention incredibly easily. Um, and so I was developing and deepening with people and really getting to know people and, and would have, I was kind of doing, I would call it poly monogamy where I would meet people and I would develop pretty quickly and we would be become really connected and create relationships. And now looking back, I, again, I see it as, wow, I was so hungry. I've been so hungry to love people and trust people that I really brought them quickly into my life and quickly into our lives, very kitchen um, table polyamory, which I love. And I think 
now looking back, there, there's steps, there's stages of getting to know people that I'm doing now that I didn't do then being just so eager and hungry, like, Oh, I can sleep with all these people. Oh, I can do this. And I think it was a little sensational for me and a little roller coastery. It's kind of been, and I, I'm now learning how to step out of what is considered polyamory and, and what is considered um, free sexuality and actually gauge what is healthy. Like what is, what is actual relationship with myself and somebody else? How do I get to know someone in stages in a world that is very free sexually and very free emotionally, especially in California? I live in a very um, sexually conscious community. And I'm like, okay, is that consciousness really for me? How do I do this in a conscious way, even more conscious? And I've been asking myself those questions, stepping outside of dating right now to really reevaluate evaluate myself and think, okay, Am I getting my needs met in polyamory? If not, what needs to shift? How do I make sure I can? Because I think it's it's pretty incredible to receive love from one person. And it takes, I think, a, even more healing for me to really be at a place where somebody else can be as healthy or somebody else can be as stable and as as loving and isn't just a foil or, you know, like the, the opposite of Steve, which I've noticed I played a lot in, in, in um, polyamory was bringing in like a lot of kinky people that were fun, but also maybe not the healthiest balance for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love you touching on the, like, I would say like the NRE NRE. So like the, like, <laughs> I'm so excited to have all this NRE and you're just like, woo. And, and it's just that's like, a new relationship. Energy. Yeah. A new relationship energy. <laughs> and like, and then you, it's, it's, it's so addicting and you're just like, I want more, I need more of it. And like, and if you have the abundance of like, well, I just hop on the dating app and there's 900 messages. I just go ahead and pick whichever one seems the coolest and I'll go with that one. And I think like, that's a, that's like an amazing opportunity, but I can also see how it can get almost carried away. And like, then you, then you have to like hit a point of like, huh, Okay that was awesome. But what is it? I'm like, is this really for me? Or is there some other like fine tuning that needs to happen here? And I, I love that, like that process has been what you're been going through. Like, it's amazing. Totally. And it's hard because I, I, it's like my drug of choice, honestly, like people liking me attraction, um, being charismatic, connecting with people emotionally, sexually. Wow. You've, I've never had this before. I like hearing that from people. It's like it puts something in my brain where I'm like, like, oh, this is fun. And I want to put all of my energy and time into it. But I realize it's what I did in monogamy. I've, I've just changed it a bit where let me put this relationship first before my own health and well-being, get really excited about it, you know, and let, and and lose my identity in this thing instead of making sure that I'm moving at a pace where Maybe I'm not having sex right away. Maybe I'm not engaging and telling you about my past traumas within like the first few months. Maybe there's, maybe there's a pacing here that might be not normal in like in swinger polyamory worlds, but maybe something that I can do for myself that helps my nervous system relax. So it's not going through these very high highs and very low lows, which is really common in polyamory, just like explosive, mind blowing experiences to like heart wrenching trauma the next day you know <laughs> but does it does it feel disingenuous like it sounds almost like this is part of who you are is like i jump in i tell them everything i just go balls to the wall like all in 
And now you're like, but maybe I shouldn't. Like, yeah. do you do you ever feel like the push pull of like, that's me, but maybe I shouldn't be me. But yeah, that's me. Like, how do you sort that out? Yeah, that that's literally where I'm at right now, and that's such a good question. I'm doing <laughs> therapy on it, and reading, and and studying on intimacy versus intensity, and what is actual intimacy versus what is making me high and excited and turned on and aroused because arousal can feel a lot like love and attraction and lust and limerence and NRE can feel a lot like love. So I'm at a place where I'm learning to slow down just a bit in how I engage um, because it's not, it's not always fully the truth, how excited I get about someone or the fact that I want them to meet my husband after two dates and we're all spending time together and now we're a big family. I think it's very sweet and very endearing of me. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to cut it off. The fact that I, I really love people very easily. Um, and I think they're, I'm looking at now, how do I do it at a pace that's actually true and not creating this false illusion of someone else and, and, and just allowing them to fit into my story of another partner because I'm polyamorous. That means I date a lot of people. Or that means I, I have sexual connections with more than one person at a time. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting growing edge for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for, like, it's acknowledging, thank you for acknowledging that it is, like, current happening right now, working on it. Like, we're all constantly, you know, growing, learning, taking things in trying to figure things out like it's just an ever-evolving process like throughout our whole lives right so uh i appreciate you sharing that i had a quick question hopefully a quick one how how long ago just for like timeline's sake like how long ago did the affair happen and like how long ago did you and steve like jump on the dating apps just roughly that's a good question um so time is a construct that I don't fully grasp well. But if I take a stab at it, I would say the affair was like six years ago, I think. Okay. Um, and then dating apps. I When I got on the dating app, he and I, I think it was like probably about a year and a half after that, after the okay. affair that we were in therapy and getting coaching and then we both got on the apps and he barely got any bites whatsoever. Um, but I was just like, <laughs> it was like off to the races ever since then. And I've actually had to, again, cause it's very intoxicating having people like at my fingertips at all times that want to get together, want to get to know me, you know, and Steve has not had that experience. It's been a lot different for him as a man that's married, deeply devoted to someone. So we've always been kind of, engaging in polyamory in different ways and learning what that looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like right now, can you describe like what the, what your relationships look like? Yeah. So um, I'm married to Steve. I live with Steve in the past. I've also had serious relationships where I would see the other partner a few times a week. We would do holidays together um, we would go camping together. And I really love that. Like, I, I really feel um, very connected to myself with two partners, but I'm not seeing anybody else significantly right now. I'm taking time to look at how have I been dating? Have I been dating the same person in, in a way? Or am I dating consciously? And how can I date more consciously? Uh, and 
spend time with people, bringing people into our lives that are really nourishing for us both over a period of time, not just after the initial NRE hit. Um, so Steve actually has a girlfriend that he's had for over a year who's an amazing friend to me. She's another coach. She, she would be incredible on your podcast, actually. I, I should probably connect you. She, um, she's polyamorous. She's in another primary partnership. Uh, they see each other probably once a week, and I love it. I love it so much. She's just so incredibly good for him, and she's an incredible friend for me. I feel very lucky that he's um, seeing someone that is just so good at connecting with me, his partner, because that's kind of a rare thing, I think, in, in polyamory, people who really care about the other person's partner or even want to care about the other person's partner, and that's like this essential thread to my well-being, honestly. So I'm taking this time away from dating to think about like, what is the essential pieces that make polyamory feel good for me? And how can I make sure I really honor that instead of um, compromising in order to, to be with a lot of people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And where do you see, I guess, yourself going in relationships? Oh, I do not know. That's, uh, <laughs> I wish I had a, um, I wish I could. That's also an okay answer. That's that's an acceptable answer. (laughs) No, I I don't fully know, and I my gut is telling me that I want to make sure that I'm the healthiest I can be in polyamory before I dive back into heavy dating or even getting to know someone honestly with the intention of dating them. So I see myself as being on this more of a solo journey for a while after dating a lot of people over five years in polyamory and being deeply connected in the, you know, social conscious sexual scene here in uh, California. And then hopefully after some time has passed and I feel more grounded and I'm, and I'm honoring even more of my own boundaries that I'll meet someone and I'll be able to get to know them in a way that feels really honoring for myself. Um, because I've, I've all like when I started polyamory, it was to have more than one serious partner. And then I kind of veered away from that. I'm like, oh, I'll just play with people for a while because nobody really wants that. But that actually brought a lot of sadness to, to just be in spaces of kink or of, of sexuality without um, the commitment for me that I'm realizing that I really need in order for sex to feel good, trust and stability and emotional availability and all of the things. So uh, I see myself being again with a partner in that realm, but taking a lot of time to make sure that I create that space that feels really good for me when I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. And I'm going to ask another super challenging question. How, how do you know, like you said, you're trying to get to a place where you feel like you are the best, healthiest version of yourself before you jump back in. Is it, I don't know. How do you know? Like, or is it like a feeling you just like, you know, one day I'm genuinely curious. That's a great question for me. It's, I'm working in, in different programs and I'm like, I'm doing these different readings and I'm in this study and inquiry and I'm just at the very beginning of it. And mm-hmm. I feel like once I like finish the book and finish this journaling and like finish these exercises, doing this inquiry work, it'll be a little bit clearer of what my timeline will be of when the, will it feel appropriate. I know for me, it will feel appropriate when I'm not questioning myself as much yep. as I do now like am i allowed to have the thing that i want is it doesn't even exist after five years of having deep beautiful partnerships that honestly were not aligned long long term is it even possible to find more than one healthy stable relationship i know that it is but i haven't really found that long term so i think once i feel more connected to that desire 
and feel more of a resounding yes, like this is possible, I think that's when it'll be time for me to date again. Yeah, I love, I love it. it. I think it's like one of those where you're like, well, I'll, I'll know when I know. And until then, I won't know, right? Like, <laughs> what are you going to do about right, it? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And also making sure, like, if, if you kind of know in your body, oh, am I doing this because I'm bored? Am I talking mm-hmm. to this person because it feels good? Am I talking to this person because I need an ego hit? Am I talking to this person because they're funny versus, whoa, am I talking to this person because I feel better? I feel more awake. I feel more connected. To myself, they're they're adding to my life. So I know when I have relationships with people, where I'm like, oh, something's happening here, where I'm respected beyond being my sex. I'm like, okay, I, I think I really want to get to know you. But it's that it's that like little internal light bulb goes goes off that this person's a little bit deeper than the average bear, and that and I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I want to just offer too that like you know the like, am I just talking to this person because they're funny or sexy or whatever, like. That sounds like that was the journey you on for a couple of years. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that if that's working for you, right? But then it sounds like for you, you got to a point where you're kind of looking around like, yeah, that was cool, but like, I need something different now. And I just, I wanted to throw that out there for anybody who's like, well, I'm doing that. Like, cool. Like, if that's working and you're loving it, like, do you, right? Totally. And I think I needed, I really needed to do that in the beginning. I needed to go like full hog. It's like going to a buffet. And I needed to like eat everything and <laughs> in order to be like, whoa, I, I have to be gluten free for the next three months because otherwise I'm going to have bad stomach pains or whatever it is. Um, and also, I mean, my husband, he can date like that. He can date probably way more casually than I can, even though I was mm-hmm. trying to be cooler and date more casually for so long, but it just doesn't work for me. Um, people can do that and it works really well for him to have like one partner that he gets his emotional needs met and the other partners that are more play. But me, I'm like, Oh, that that's not in my constitution. It's more of emotional. I need the emotional piece too. I think it's more important to realize what, what's important for you. How does it work for you and what feels really healthy for you versus what do you think you should be doing or what are other people doing? Because it seems easier, just like an alcoholic can't really go to a bar and drink necessarily like other people, you kind of have to gauge what can I do that other people can do? And do I really want to do that or not? Is it really healthy for me? Yeah. Well, and, and I love that you touched on the point of the differences between you and Steve and how you approach this, because I think that's another one where, you come out of some extended period of monogamy in a marriage or, or any monogamous relationship. And now you're going to go for the, you're going for polyamory and you think, well, everything has to be equal. You have a date tonight. I should have a date tonight. You're going to talk on the phone today. I should talk on the phone today. And like, it's so easy to be like, well, everything has always been equal. Now everything has to continue to be equal. And there is a, a point where it's maybe like, we're doing completely different things in a completely different way. And we have to figure out how to be okay with that. And that's just an additional challenge. I feel like all we're doing is talking about the challenges. (laughs) Or maybe that's all I'm doing. Sorry. I don't know. (laughs) But no, it's a challenge. Are we going to say something? Yeah. Well, I was just saying, I think we are talking about challenges, but I think we've covered too a lot of pieces of growth that are beautiful, that are important, that are. Uh, and fun like you know you've talked quite a bit about fun too so yeah (laughs) well I just I think too though the those points I think when you can work through those imbalances and those differences and the NRE and the let's 
let's figure out how to get rid of codependency as much as possible, right? Like the the other side of that is the relationship you always wanted and that maybe really works for you versus like, this is what everybody else around us does. We're supposed to do it too. And like you said, like it was great. You sat on the couch, you cuddled, you kissed. Everyone thought you were amazing. And it was surface level. It was a facade. Right. It, it wasn't fully internalized. I think um, mm, that the the need for everything that you were just naming for it to be the same, going to the core of it is really important because oftentimes if my partner's on a date and I feel like I need to be on a date, it's it has nothing to do with my partner. It has to do with my own internal process of solitude. Can I be with myself? Can I... Can I date myself if I'm not actively being pursued by someone? What does that even mean to date myself now? I've been dating so many other people for so many years. What does it mean to take time away from that and really date myself and desire myself and want myself outside of people wanting me? I think we get stuck in the, com- the competitive sort of, you have three dates, oh, I have to get three dates, simply because we're avoiding our internal selves. Like we're avoiding who we are. And thinking by controlling the other person, that somehow makes me okay. Like, oh, if I have a date too, okay, that's okay. Like always having to do something. But for me, polyamory, a big part of doing it well has been learning how to be in my solitude and not just fill it with someone because Steve has somebody else or because he's doing something to really be with my essence and like that um, and not just do something because Steve is doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. It's, it's, and it's a big point of growth too, because so it's so easy to get caught up in the, well, this person's doing something. I got to do something. And like that almost competition. Oh, yeah. Uh, and recognizing, no, maybe actually some alone time or like would be good for me or take, I'm going to take myself out on a date and go have fun by myself. And, or I'm just going to take a bath. Like it doesn't matter. Or I'm going to call a friend and talk on the phone for an hour. Like there's so many other things that you can do to nurture yourself instead of that comparison. But that comparison and competition is so easy to fall into. Oh, totally. It it really is. And I think one one beautiful part of polyamory is that it, I can't be competitive. It, it won't allow me. There, there's no way for our relationship to work being competitive. Um, and I can't control him the way that I used to. We have our boundaries and we have our, you know, we don't have unprotected sex with people and things like that. But it, polyamory for us has been the gift of relief and release and trust where my husband gets to have everything he could ever want in the world and also me and I get to have him too. And we get to create these lives together that really turn us on, on many different levels without having to settle on one thing, because that's what we were told. And that's how we're trained to be is monogamous or only focused on each other. And it's in a specific way. Polyamory has just like, Oh my God, our confidence and who we are. It's there's no, there's no comparison. I mean, before we started polyamory, I was jealous when Steve would share guacamole with a woman at work. I kid you not. <laughs> <laughs> he came home and told me, he's like, I shared guacamole. with." I was like, what? You shared guacamole? And we like to tell people this, that we date in the beginning stages of like, we're not, we haven't always been like this, where we want people in our lives and, and we want to get to know people. We, I've been very insecure 
and even, and he was insecure too. And we, part of polyamory has been, we're not, we can't hide our insecurity in the other person. Like the other person can't take care of our, our insecurity anymore. I have to be uh, honorable to my, like responsible for my insecurity and learn about it and, and support myself in it. And then from there, ask him, Hey, you know, can you support me by doing this? Is that, are you available for that? Does that even feel good for you? There's so much more consent now. Like we, we are different people and I would never go back, even if for all the heartache that I've experienced in polyamory, I would never go back because of the freedom that we now have for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I love that. The, the guacamole example, even to build on that a little bit is like the, you said like, you know, Steve can have everything he wants in the world and you, and you can have everything you want in the world, but it is a challenge to break away from the like, back to your guacamole, like, oh, you want to eat guacamole. I have to be the one to eat guacamole with you. You might not even like it. You might be like, I don't even like avocados, <laughs> but I have to be the one, right? Like, oh, you want to go play tennis on the weekends? Well, like, I should be the one to do that and not like, go find somebody who likes to play tennis. I don't like tennis. I don't even want to go outdoors. Like, I want to sit inside and read a book. But we feel, we feel these obligations to be like, well, we're married, we're partners. I have to do everything that my partner wants and they have to do everything that I want. And it can create insecurity, I think, when to see your partner be like, I'm going to go do this thing with somebody else and not you. And you have to be like, okay, like, well, yeah, like, I don't like, and then you have to check yourself. Like, I didn't even want to do that thing, but like, I'm feeling weird about it. But like, yeah. And like, that can translate to gifts and all sorts of stuff. Like, oh, well, you got them a gift for Christmas and not me. I'm like, I don't want gifts. I told you for 10 years, I don't want gifts for Christmas. Like, and so like, now I'm upset that I didn't get a gift. Like, so it's, it's really assessing like, what is it that I actually want? And like, what is our relationship built on? Because if it's not built on guacamole and tennis, then we don't need to have guacamole and tennis in our relationship. Oh, yeah, that, uh, that that's, that's so big in polyamory, the FOMO, right? Like the fear mm -hmm. of missing out that you just had this wonderful night with that person. Um, am I missing out because I didn't have a wonderful night with someone else? I mine was low key. I wasn't you know, having mind blowing sex, I was being with myself. Does that mean somehow that what I'm doing is not as important or not as valid? Or so there's like a comparison, we can compare our experiences with other people and then also think, oh, am I not good enough? Because you didn't have that experience with me or because I'm not interested in X, Y, and Z. For me, I think true love is, you know, how much can I love my husband that I want him to have the very best life at all times, regardless if I'm there or not? I really would love to, and I, I love having wonderful experiences with him and we make sure that we do them, but every single experience for me to claim ownership of that, that's a bit much and not realistic and not healthy. I don't think he should be able to have other experiences outside of me. And for me, again, that, that's what true love is. And I don't feel that that, that looks like, um, like sometimes people will say, and this is kind of like an unpopular belief that I have, but sometimes people will say, well, I have my emotional needs met from this person and that means I don't need them met for any, from anybody else because I already have my needs met. In my mind, I, I feel like that can be a little bit dangerous if like one partner's bringing in respect and the other partners are not because like they're getting the respect over here. I feel like no matter where we go, we're whole people and we always mm -hmm. need parts of us respected and, and um, held safe. 
Um, but when it comes to like tennis or like, you know, or shopping or kink or certain things that are, that aren't intrinsic to our being, I think having partners that bring out those parts in us and can honor those parts in us is really beautiful. Just like we have friends that we do different things with. We don't have to do every single thing with all the friends we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That was very beautifully said. <laughs> um, I'm curious how open have you been with other people in your life about being non-monogamous and about that journey? I've been very open. I, I have this thing about me, this compulsion to tell everybody everything at all times. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the writer in me plus like the lover plus I don't even know. Um, and so I've been transparent from day one. Like when I had the affair, I'm like calling my mom, I'm like telling my sister, you know, not a good idea. Uh, you know, um, but that's just kind of who I am and who I was. But Steve has been on a different journey where his parents don't know. And we just told his family recently about it, but his parents still don't know. Um, my, everybody, my family knows were the people that I'm close to or the people that, that I speak to, have spoken to on a regular basis, just because my work is also very poly oriented. I'm very transparent that I help people connect to their true identity, sexual, emotional, and all of the things. So I personally was broadcasting it on Facebook like very early on. This is who I am um, because I can't lie. And of course, it really drove my business. Like my transparency drives my business, my vulnerability like, makes me the leader that I am. I can't really deny that. Um, but he, on the other hand, it's been a different journey for him of, um, what does this mean for me? And, and how do I do polyamory in a way that really works for me and feels right for me? Um, because he doesn't do it like Maria Palumbo. He does it like himself. And so he's been at his own pace of disclosing. I know for me personally, I, in order to date people, they need to, they have to be relatively out, relatively comfortable with social media and things like that. Otherwise it's, it's kind of impossible for me to, to date them. It's really hard. But Steve, on the other hand, he could probably date people. I don't know if it really, if he really cares if they want to tell people or not. It's like a, it's a different way of being in the world, honestly. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating always to, to just hear different people, the way different people handle it. Cause like you, some people are just like out with everything and then other people are a lot more reserved and it, there's a space for everyone. And it's just whatever your comfort level is. Totally. And I think him being open to his family and us finally telling his family, we only told them like over the summer after years of being polyamorous, when we finally told them there was a relief and a connection that we didn't have before. They actually Mm -hmm. said his siblings were like, why didn't you tell us sooner? We kind of figured it out. We heard through the grapevine type of thing. And we felt like you, you all were missing a bit. So I think that's something to take into consideration. Having privacy is great. And sometimes the other side of that can be loss of intimacy or some type of disconnection. Am I, how can I be in relationship with you if I feel like there's something I have to hide? Privacy and secrecy are different, right? And I think it mm-hmm. turned into secrecy and the secrecy became emotionally, uh, it created a toll on both of us and his family. So once we've told them, oh, it's been a relief and there's a connection there that we haven't had with them in a long time. And, and we're all grateful that we finally did. Now, that's not going to be everybody's journey, but I do know that anything embedded in secrecy can be harmful, I think, over a long period of time for intimacy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we've we've experienced some similar threads when we've told some of our friends after many years of this and our friendships with them are closer now than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we can talk about all aspects of our lives and then they're you know more willing to open up about things that they're going through and and that and it just it's taken friendships and like concreted them and deepened them and just yeah, it's it's a whole new it's a, it's a whole new paradigm in a lot of ways. And it's, it's, a, I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Were you going to say something? No, you're good. No, you're good. Yeah. And I think if you lose friends after that, it's also clarity of if someone's willing to not be my friend over who I decide to date or my relationship style, I wonder how much we were friends to begin with. Like what, what was our friendship based on? If I, if I'm supposed to mirror your values or your belief system, I, that, that could be really painful, but also really important to look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, so something you touched on a little bit ago, sort of in passing was about a little bit about how you and Steve handle like sexual health and safety. But I was wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit more about that and also just safety in general, right? Going out on dates, whether it's you or Steve, right? Like, I think anytime you're meeting random strangers from the internet, there's, there's some risk in that. And so how, how do you, or how do you and Steve sort of approach that and understanding again, maybe you don't want to speak for Steve. So yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm happy. I'm happy to speak for Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we had taken care of that problem, Maria. I thought you worked through that. <laughs> you're, it's your fault. You're making me do it. Um, yeah, that's funny. I love that. Um, STI safety is really important to me. I actually, I'm working on an ebook on this now because I, I have dated a lot of people over the last few years, really getting to know a lot of different people. And I created a protocol for myself, um, that filters out people, um, that might not be what Steve and I are looking for in terms of what can really enhance our lives and, and bring safety. I, when I first talk to someone, I'll give you like a quick rundown. When I first talk to someone, I'm very clear about STI state, like what's the STI status and is that important to you? Um, Steve and I only have protected sex with other people. And we also have something where where we don't even have oral sex in the beginning either because that's fluid bonding. I mean, like we have very unusual um, boundaries, but it's really kept us pretty clear um, from STIs. We haven't had to deal with that. And we've had a lot, a lot of partners over the years. We, we've, we've really gotten around um, and experienced <laughs> quite a bit <laughs> this world has to offer. And our, our um, filtering process has been really helpful for that. And when I first start talking to someone too, so I, I tell them about my, like, my STI status, it's clear. Have you had a recent test? Um, I tell them about protected sex. It's really important to me and, and our other little sexual boundaries that we have. And then I ask them to get on a video call, um, which is also usually new for people. I'm like, well, how are people just like blindly meeting up with people? Like, I don't understand it. Every time I do a video call with someone, they're like, oh my God, it feels like an interview. I'm like, it freaking is an interview. I'm not going to waste <laughs> my time with someone that I don't really like and that I'm not a 10 about. I'm not going to go out on yep. a date with a four. That's just who I am. <laughs> yep. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, <laughs> and so I do the call, the first call. And then from there I know, okay, what's this person's energy? What's this person's take on their STI health, um, sex health in general? Are we going to be a good fit for a first date? That requires a lot of filtering. Like I, I have to filter people out. And that means I have conversations and with a lot of different people when I'm dating. And also, 
I also converse with the partner of the partner. I try to do that as early as possible because for me, every time that I haven't, it's always came back to bite me in the ass, honestly. Um, and it really shows me like, what's the longevity here of this relationship? Um, what, how do they view polyamory? Do we have this a similar mindset or, you know, is it different? Is the other partner happy about this or are they not? If they're not happy about it, I'm not getting involved, you know? And I think it's been really hard because I really like certain men. And then if I meet their partner and they're not a hundred percent, it's like, ah, okay, we just can't because it's not going to, it's not going to go well for anybody. So it's a long process for me. (laughs) I've like turned it into a professional sport, honestly, um, but because of that, I am writing it down and I am sharing it. People are frequently asking me and, and I'm like, I just need to publish this and get this out sooner than later because it, it really helps me get on the same page with who is really going to be healthy and who is not for me over a period of time. Um, and then from there, after if if they pass the stage where I talk to the partner and feels <laughs> things feel good there. Um, then that's when I start to get to know someone. And we start to build um, something over time and go on dates and. Um, I also like a partner to meet my partner, my husband very early on too, because that shows me how can they engage with each other? Can they, or can't they, uh, people do polyamory in which they keep their lives separate. I don't have the energy or time for that. And, and like holding many different relationships or keeping them separate or, or any of that. So I want to bring people together early on to see, you know, is this a community that we want to build together? Do, do we, could we even have family together in the future or is it just not going to work out? And I try my best to honor that. It's hard when I really like someone. I'm like, oh, let's give it a little bit more time. Like maybe it'll get, but it never does. Like It's always a really clear sign about how they treat my husband and how my husband feels with them right away. If, if they're going to be something that really, again, adds to our lives. Now, Steve does it differently. I think in that he, he has conversations with people. Sometimes he does calls. He's more eager to meet people in person. Um, but he, when he meets them in person, he does share about all of his boundaries regarding what he's looking for. Look, I'm looking to see someone maybe twice a month. Um, I'm looking for dating and fun and sex and exploration and not really looking for, it's not like he's not looking for like a deep committed partnership where he's building something, building life with mm-hmm. someone while I am. But I also don't really lean with that. I'm not like, by the way, you can be my next partner. But I do say like, yeah, just so you know, I'm, I'm not really dating casually right now. I've dated casually for a very long time. I've gotten to know a lot of different people. I don't really need that anymore. I don't, I don't need like, uh, what's it called? Variety. I want more quality instead of variety. While Steve is like, kind of likes variety, <laughs> you know, right now, mm-hmm. but it's not to mm-hmm. mean that his, his variety isn't quality. He, he, he dates a lot of uh, great people. Um, but it's just, we're, it's just interesting watching how we both engage a little bit differently. Oh, and also we both get tested every three months. That's incredibly important to me. Um, always a very, like the fullest panel possible. So I, I get tested through a certain website, which we can even share with your audience if they're interested, um, that allows me to get a full panel, have access on my phone immediately within 24 hours. Like I am very, um, I cross every T and dot every I's when it comes to that. And we'll only have sex with people once they have a clear test. And all of that, like that, that's, that's the only, only way I can do it. Yeah. What, what, I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. I'm curious what, what website it is. Um, it's stdcheck.com. 
They are our favorite affiliate sponsor of the they show. They are. We, so, we, so, uh, we talk about them every episode. So listeners, if you want to follow in Maria's footsteps and ours, because this is how we've been getting tested for years, there's links in the show notes and you can save $10. It's now $130 instead of it used to be almost $200. Yeah. And you save $10 wow. and you help support our show. So Maybe I can be an affiliate for stdcheck.com because you know how partners I've got on stdcheck.com? Like I should be getting money at this point for real. <laughs> or send them send them to us and we'll we'll send you some dinner gift cards or something. Okay. <laughs> no. I love it. I love that you're using the site. So use use Maria's links if she gets some, use our links if you want. We love I love it. that. I, yeah. yeah. I, I I love that website. I, and it, it's so and it's private. You can go right to a lab right yeah. away and no one's asking you questions usually doctors like well i don't know if you really need this like how many partners have you done you like doctors are so freaking nosy and then bring their own ethics into it a lab they're just drawing your blood you don't have to interface yeah. with a doctor it's the way to do yeah. it especially yeah. if you're regularly dating which i've been for a very long time yeah yeah the the people at quest or whatever they don't get they don't give a shit what you're doing there they just want you in and out so they can get the next person's blood they don't and yeah like the i remember the first time i got tested at our doctor they he was like well you're you're married i was like yeah he's like having some extracurriculars are you i was like yeah together he's like oh (laughs) and like that was and then he was like so uncomfortable and he's like okay and i was like well i'm not doing that again like that was like there's a better way. <laughs> and so, right. yeah. We don't need to have shame when we're taking care of our, our sex health. Like, it should feel really good and really positive. And I think stdcheck.com does that. I think that's so funny. <laughs> that, that's your affiliate. I can't believe that. That's so funny. Yep. That's awesome. Love it. Well, thank you for inadvertently being a commercial for us. We appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. <sighs> awesome. Well, the last thing that, I mean, not the last thing we've ever wanted to talk about, but if you if you're willing to share, we love to talk about bloopers. I know you've shared a couple of fun guacamole stories. If you have another one that you'd be open to sharing, we'd love to hear it. If not, we can jump in and you can tell us more about all of the work you're doing, where people can find you, and how they can support uh, the work and and maybe even work with you as a coach. Yes, I can give you both um, another blooper. Um, in the beginning, oh no, no, this was way before we were polyamorous. We were at a restaurant, and I, in, when we, when Steve and I first started dating, I felt like he was getting a lot of attention from women. And it could have also been my insecurity, but he would be like, I don't know why I'm so hot all of a sudden. Like, all of a sudden, I'm really hot, and all these women are hanging out with me, and I, I don't know. So we would be at a restaurant, and women would just come over to the table and be like, I know you. Like, how do I know you? I'm, I'm literally on a date with this person. It doesn't matter if I'm monogamous or polyamorous. It would be nice if you focused on me or whatever. <laughs> so I remember, so I was like heightened when we went to restaurants looking around, like who's going to come over to us today and try to talk to Steve about how they know him from somewhere or something. But we, um, we arrived at this restaurant and Steve and the hostess were talking. It was just light, kind banter. But I was getting more and more heated and like, really like, why are you talking to this person? Just let us sit down, put us at the table. And um, Steve said something like, oh, yeah, I love this restaurant. She's like, oh, you really do, huh? You really like this restaurant? He <laughs> was like, yeah, I love your burgers. <laughs> and he said burgers, plural. And she had very big breasts that were like beautiful. And I'm like, oh. and she kind of smiled coyly at him. And I'm like, 
you just complimented her breasts. Like, is what I, and Steve's like, what? I love burgers. I love burgers. I really love them. Probably on more than one level. Um, like, he definitely loves his burgers. But before polyamory, I was always looking for a way to be afraid or, you know, he's looking at another lady or how am I going to lose him? You know, how can I lose him? And I, I'm, just, I'm grateful now that I've lightened up quite a bit and there's so much more flexibility in our relationship. Well, and, and now I've got a follow-up. How did you work through that? And I know now it's like we went funny and now we're going deep because I'm curious, like, because that's a big shift of, like, worried about another woman's burgers to, like, <laughs> now it's now it's totally cool. <laughs> I'm worried about another woman's burgers. Um, when, oh, wow. While Steve dates new people or when, like, when he begins to date new people, I always go through a period of feeling fear or feeling insecure or who is this person? What, what does this person want? What was really interesting though um, in this last relationship that he's in, that he's been in long-term, which is his only long-term relationship. She immediately reached out to me early on and, and just wanted to talk to me and put me at ease and let me know that I was important to her too. And, if I had any concerns, which is really what I do, which really freaks other women out, honestly, in the beginning, like, who are you? You haven't even gone on a date with my husband and you're trying to talk to me. Like, let me be. But I love that she did that. And, I, and it really put me at ease. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Okay. She actually cares about me too. And sees, you know, my husband as my husband, which is cool. Like the fact that she respects that. Wow. Um, but even though she gave me that really wonderful conversation as a gift, honestly, Whenever he came home in the early stages, I just had this really sort of animalistic, almost reptilian sort of, you let me down or, or you betrayed me. And like my body would feel like, why is he, be I feel betrayed. Why am I feeling betrayed? I've been polyamorous for a few years. There's like this betrayal thing happening and I, I would feel scared or I'd feel insecure. And it was happening for months where I would feel kind of angry or I'm like, don't touch me. And then I realized what was happening was jealousy like oh that's what's happening i'm feeling jealous and i had to in order for that to die down i had to talk to her i went directly to her to his partner my dear friend and i said look like i'm having jealousy come up i i'm feeling scared because the way that you both relate is not the way that steve and i relate like, you guys light up in a, in a in like a firecracker sort of way like we're at a party at a beach and they're like making out on the beach right they're like it's this gorgeous fiery energy that steve and i don't necessarily have in the exact way and i told her that and i said i feel really gross that i'm feeling insecure or scared but i just am and just saying that something in me just like oh my god I, like what just happened it was, it, it's like it dispelled it by talking about it but her response really helped she, she said um she was like I'm jealous of you. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, like you guys have this long-term deep relationship. It's not just erotic. It's, it's erotic and it's emotional and it's all the, and I don't feel like I'm on that level. And I, I always feel like your relationship is more important. And I was like, wait, what? Like, no, I never, like, I, and we had this long conversation back and forth of, I want you to feel valued. I don't want you ever to feel like your relationship is trivial or not as important or not as deep or or like, it's important for me for you to have the relationship that you want with Steve. So we both kind of met each other and, and expressed 
love for where each other is at and empathy. And we were crying or like, I love you. Like you're amazing. And, and it was incredible. <laughs> and not every woman is like that in polyamory. I've never come across another person like her. Her name is Brie Riley. Shout out to Brie. Um, she's incredible, but that's like, that's what helps me get through those moments when I can talk to the other partner. If, if I have partners of partners that won't talk to me, the relationship usually ends anyway, pretty quickly. And it has nothing to do with that partner. It's just, it, it can't be maintained. I feel like the, um, what's it called? Like the environment for the relationship, it's never that fertile. If, if I can't have that like deeper connection with another woman or the partner of my partner. So we're learning that we're gauging, um, how, how can we date and making sure that other partners can engage with us and at least have conversations with us and address feelings like, like jealousy, which are really hard to talk about really, really scary. Cause it makes me look so totally not cool <laughs> to be like, I'm feeling insecure because you're super hot and you make out with my husband really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it that you, that you share that like this thing, this jealousy thing is still a thing you feel every time Steve goes and starts some new relationship, because I think it's so easy to, to like, listen to you and hear like how well-spoken you are and how long you've been doing this and your coach and all of these things and be like, well, clearly she doesn't deal with jealousy and the fact that you do and that you've, you've worked through this and you continue to work through it, I think is just super important and and I think it doesn't get talked about enough because it's really easy for people like, oh, no, I don't. Jealousy is a bad thing. We don't do that. And it's like, no, no, we do it. <laughs> we all do it. Yeah. So. And it brings us together. If I, I always tell people, if you tell me that you're jealous, it feels like a gift because you're a powerhouse and you're incredible. And if you tell me that you're dealing with jealousy, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it makes me feel so special. I'm like fangirling, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I can't believe, like, I can't believe someone of your stature would feel insecure around me, Maria Palumbo. And it helps me appreciate myself when other women are willing to do that. And it's kind of rare. But I, I love to tell people that it's a gift. Like, your jealousy is a gift if you own it in a certain way. People can feel like, oh, my God, I had no idea I had all my shit together because this person's jealous of this relationship. That's so freaking cool. How cool is that? Yeah. It, it immediately makes you more human. Totally. Like yeah. Yeah. And it, it's you can connect with people deeper if I'm willing mm -hmm. to be honest. But if, I, if I'm never jealous, I'm sure people can come into situations with my husband and be intimidated by me or – or, or, or something, right? Like, or, or feel not safe. So I, I try to be as vulnerable as I possibly can. And also, again, it works best when all partners are as vulnerable and as communicative. Otherwise, it's very hard to have that type of like deep relationship where jealousy is actually used as a gift. Because there's been times where partners have told me, well, my girlfriend's feeling jealous. And I'm like, oh, well, let me just talk to her. And I would go right to the girlfriend and be like, I heard that you were feeling jealous. I'd love to talk to you about it. And it would not like, it's gone not well. Like how dare he tell you I'm not jealous. He should not tell you. And then blocking me and, Oh, you know, and, and that's, and that's just how people deal with jealousy. It's not polyamory. It's like, how do people deal with themselves? And polyamory can sometimes shine a light on that. Yeah. Well, well, this hasn't you. been a great episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm this has been amazing. So thank you for, for everything. And it's, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Do you mind speaking just a little bit about, uh, well, you've covered a lot, quite a bit of the work you do, but more of the work that you do, where people can find you and yes. so that we can send people your way. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I also do couples coaching. 
Um, my one-on-one coaching uh, ranges. I work with people for six weeks, up to six months, up to a year. My couples coaching is really, really fun. I do 90-minute sessions with people, help them be in their bodies, help them connect to each other, help them use triggers as a way to actually see the other person better. And I've worked with couples. I worked with one couple who wasn't having sex for years, and they started having sex again. I worked with another couple that was afraid of a certain type of sex, and then they started having it all the time. They felt really deeply connected, and they said our work together saved their marriage. I love working with couples who feel like they're at the brink of insanity, right, of like losing everything, and we're going to either break down or we're going to stay together. Um, We're going to break up or stay together, and I'm really good at that level of crisis and supporting people because I've navigated it myself. So I love working one-on-one. I love working with couples. I'm doing in-person work now. I'm leading retreats um, and also leading workshops. My workshops are called Follow Your Fuck. Um, and it's about following your desire. Like what is truly your desire versus what you think you should want? What do you really want? And then from there, I'm leading a retreat in October. And that's just for women. And that's going to probably be in Mexico um, for about like seven to eight women to focus on their desires, focus on what's been getting in the way. What are the stories I've been telling myself and how do I reboot the system and create what I really want and trust myself um, in the life that I have right now. Awesome. Well, links to your website and ways to find you will be in the show notes. Yes. You can find me at mariaplumbo.com. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me. And that has my store, my current eBooks, my programs um, and all of it. So, so yeah. And you can email me through there if you have any questions or if you're interested in coaching. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you, Maria, for everything, for the work you do, and for using (laughs) stdcheck.com. Yes. (laughs) Amazing coincidence, and we love it. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for joining us this afternoon, and have a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. And we're back. A huge thank you to Maria for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story and for all the amazing work that you do. A quick reminder, if you're out there interested in in her work, go to um, the show notes and you can find links to her work, her website. She has an upcoming workshop called Follow Your Fuck at the end of June. You can sign up there. Yes. Thank you, Maria. Uh, We're excited to send people your way and Yeah, go check out all of her work. One other thing we want to say thank you for, Maria, was inadvertently plugging our favorite our favorite affiliate, stdcheck.com. So (laughs) as you might have heard, this is how Emma and I get tested for STIs. That sounds like how Maria and all of the people she's ever hooked up with also get tested. So uh, you head over to our website, click on the resources tab or in your podcast player show notes. You'll see links there. Those links will save you $10, which brings the cost of a 10 panel test down to $130, actually $129. (laughs) So check that out. It is fast. It's easy. It's simple, which is the same is easy and (laughs) we again this is the service emma and i use um check it out yes use it you won't regret it obviously maria uses it uh it's amazing links are in the show notes yeah (laughs) next week what quit laughing all i can think about you said simple and easy all i can think about is the department of the redundancy department (laughs) that other joke that i make that's really bad yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's all i can think about I'm, i'm glad my horrible jokes are launched in your brain forever yeah you're welcome a quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you can sign up for our Patreon community, but you can also sign up for the virtual meet and greet that's coming up this Thursday. That's tomorrow, June 9th in the evening. Uh, go sign up and join us. We'd love to have you there. 
Yes. And next week, we've got an awesome interview with Tom. So come back for that. We will see you then. And also, just a little another teaser for anybody who made it all the way here. All the way to the end. We've got some big announcements coming up in the next few weeks. Some things that you're going to want to you're going to want to hear. Yes. So come back and listen. Just in the listen next few every week. Yeah. And you won't ever miss an announcement. Yes. And we'll see you next week for Tom. We're super pumped. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.